Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, I know it's been a while since we've had a Changemaker chat, but today's Changemaker chat is very, very special. Uh, we have an amazing guest today that's going to be breaking down some really important information para nuestra comunidad. So this is super important. Um, so thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for being with us. And, uh, and our first guest uh, here in quite some time, Ilenia Aguilar. Ilenia, thank you for joining us. Luis, muchas gracias. Um, thank you very much for the opportunity. Oh, uh, anytime, anytime. Uh, so I uh, want to just give a quick bio so that folks know who's on the call, who's, who's uh, sharing this amazing information with them. So I'm going to read a quick bio. And if I miss anything, Elena, please, uh, please feel free to chime in here. So Elena Aguilar was born in uh, Orizaba, Veracruz, Mexico, and, uh, and currently serves as the governing board president in the Osborne School District number eight in Phoenix, Arizona. She was undocumented and became a naturalized citizen in 2014, and she voted for the first time uh, in a presidential election and for herself on November 8, 2016. Elena is an advocate for quality education and believes that diversity in the curriculum with multicultural education allows for all students to be validated in their education. In our diverse world, we need to validate all histories and all of humanity. Uh, it is in her opinion that culturally responsive curriculum gives a student more of an opportunity to become engaged academically. Education provides the opportunity to have more opportunities in life for communities who have historically been marginalized. Education can be the great equalizer. Elena is the proud parent of two boys, Brock and Felix, uh, who are the reason she decided to run for office and who inspire her every day to work towards a better and more compassionate tomorrow. Again. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for being with us, Elena. Um, so I want to start off. Anything else that we should know about you? I know you do a lot of stuff. So anything else we should know other than this bio? So, um, yeah, I think that um, one thing that I didn't add was like my educational, I mean, my professional background. Mm -hmm. So I started off as um, an interpreter in the detention centers, illegal reentries. Um, it was really important that I do that, not only because that could have been me, but also because a lot of my family members have been through the detention center. Um, my story is not unique, um, and neither is having a family member who's been undocumented or deported. Um, giving back to my community started a long time ago, um, and you know, once I was able to, to have the opportunity to, to become a citizen um, and to gain entrance into the federal facilities, that was one thing that I wanted to do. Well, I wanted to be a teacher, but at that time I was married to a teacher. So um, during that time, um, back in 2011, when I was gaining my status, um, my permanent resident card, um, you know, things were going on in Tucson where I lived with my ex-husband. And, you know, there was a sense of the fact that education isn't valued, especially if you taught Max American Studies, which was a program that eventually was dismantled. But, um, you know, that's where I ended up going from, like, I don't want to be a teacher to I want to be an interpreter. I want to serve my community. I want to be the voice for my community. And that's how I started interpreting at the prisons. Um, it was very powerful because I felt that grateful, first of all, that I wasn't on the other side. And also grateful that I was able to help someone like the inmate who very well could have been my uncle or my cousin or my own sibling. So um, that's how I got started um, professionally as an interpreter. And then I went off into 
the um, medical side where I got to see the um, inequities in the medical system as well towards Latinos. And then throughout all of my work experience as an interpreter, um, and then my move to Phoenix, I was able to to come to Phoenix. And, and like you mentioned, when my election and opportunities came with wonderful organizations, whether it was La LULAC or Televisa Foundation or Unidos, like the doors opened up for me professionally in that sense because I am bilingual, because I have the ability not only to speak mm-hmm. two languages, but I can write them. I was, you know, I'm very grateful that grateful in the sense that like my experience, you know, as an undocumented person, which is similar to many undocumented stories, I moved a lot. I went to more than 15 different schools. There is no stability and structure. Like we're exposed to everything down the line from food insecurity to homelessness to everything that you can think of. So, you know, one of the times like I, I did live in Mexico City and I, I'm very grateful for that experience. And although I am the daughter of an undocumented woman who came to the United States to provide her daughters with a better life, you know, my mom divorced my father when I was born and he is a college graduate in Mexico. And, and through my experience living in Mexico City, I got to learn about my history, my language, and how beautiful and talented and smart our people are. And that is something that I will eternally be grateful for because that instilled the value of education and of self-worth. And I'm grateful for that experience, whether, you know, it was something short and brief, I got to experience it. And that's something that no one can take away from me, that education, just like the education that we provide children every day in our public school systems. So those experiences really allowed me to become the person that I am now, whether I was you know, the daughter of, you know, an engineer in Mexico City or the daughter of an undocumented woman cleaning houses in the United States. Like those, both of those experiences allowed me to become the woman that I am now. And I'm grateful for them, but especially the fact that I got to read and write in my native language, because every opportunity that I have had professionally in my life has been because I am bilingual and biliterate. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that, Elena. I mean, this is so important, right? We, we get into these professional spaces like this is our bio and this is what, you know, but really there's a story. There's a story and we all carry that story. Um, and it's so valuable and, and so important to, to put that out at the forefront. Um, I, I want to transition here a little bit and, and, and just really hone in. We're in a very special time right now, right? And, and I know that there's a lot of stressors. There's a lot of unknowns with respects to, you know, um, you know, everything with respects to health and well-being of communities uh, based on COVID. Uh, we're looking at, you know, the largest civil rights movement of, you know, this era, right? It has kicked off and we're in the middle of that. And um, there's this uh, piece of, of understanding that I think we need to help, you know, our, our, our comunidad understand, right? And so what, what does that kind of, what do you think about, you know, that, that reality, right? That, that we're in this new realm. Uh, what does that mean for you? You're running for office. You've done all of these things. How does that hone in? And how does that connect to you, you know, being the president of your school board? And then how does that translate into the community? Do you think? Yeah. Um, never in a million years did I ever think that I would become a citizen. And um, I never in- 
aspire to be a school board member or to be an elected official for that matter. Um, my experience with the school board was initially when my ex-husband's position was eliminated by a school board. So it wasn't a positive experience. And um, that's when I learned that education is the most political thing. Even though people say education is not political, it is the most political thing. And, you know, once I was able to, to learn, you know, what was going on and why, like, you know, some programs were more political than others and why people were campaigning towards eliminating certain things. It's because at the end of the day, it's, it's about racism and the uncomfortable feeling of, you know, a demographic who was here, right? Like if we understand history, this used to be Mexico. And, you know, for those of us who are lucky enough to understand the history of Mexico, we already know that. Pero en los Estados Unidos, especialmente in our, like, in our nation, but in our border states, like we are not allowed to teach the history of our nation, which is a very complex and difficult and sad history, which, you know, this nation was built on the tears and backs of African-Americans. And this land originally belonged to the Native Americans. And then, you know, we need to understand when like La Conquest, like when Mexico was conquered and then you know, the fact that, you know, this used to, at one point was Mexico, and then we had like, you know, a president, American president who incited, you know, war, and then we had our Mexican president, Santana and Polk, like, you know, who didn't make the right decision, who found himself selling, you know, this land, beautiful land that is now Arizona, California, and all of the beautiful states in the Pacific Northwest, including Wyoming, um, Entonces, you know, if you don't understand history, we tend to repeat it. The one thing that I've learned about like this civil rights movement is that we've gone through these movements in the past. So we had the Chicano movement and all the movements in the 60s, right? And they were all um, movements, you know, the women's movement, um, you know, every movement that was happening wasn't just happening in the United States. In Mexico también estaba estaban los estudiantes protestando en UNAM en Tlatelolco. And then in Paris, France, there was a movement itself happening. So we are not unique to um, fighting for our civil rights. Um, this is something that has happened in the past. What we haven't learned is our lesson or what we haven't done a good job at is teaching the history. Because what we know, and the, it, this is backed up by research, this isn't just an anecdote by me, that when we children are taught their history, they're more likely to be engaged civically and academically. They're more likely to go to college and graduate from college and vote because they know that there, there have been people before them who have fought, who have lost their lives, who've sacrificed so much so they could now be inside a classroom receiving an education because we don't have to go too far back like there are times where we were segregated there are times where mexican people couldn't even buy a house there are times when a woman like me couldn't vote the fact that i can actually vote is like shocking itself like that's not so far away from me that was back mm -hmm. 2016 when i gained my right to vote and then women didn't you know haven't always had the right to vote mexican women gained the right to vote mexican nationals before Mexican American women in the United States. So understanding history is the most critical thing. It is 
the most important legacy we can leave our children besides you know teaching them their language if they come if they come from a bilingual or other language spoken at home that is the most important legacy is teaching children about the history of the United States and it's not just you know one history it's the American history which is very diverse it is not the Anglo white history it's the history of Mexican Mexicans Mexican Americans the history of our Native Americans and our African Americans that is American history and if we continue to go forward in our educational systems without teaching our children about you know the sad and horrible history of this nation we are doing them a disservice and for me to be a school board leader like first of all it's an honor to serve these families and to be part of a such a beautiful community and to be you know a decision maker like i don't take that lightly there was a point in my life where i didn't even have a voice where my opinions never mattered and i want to be that voice not just for you know the undocumented or the women or the latinos like the voice for all of those disenfranchised communities because i've represented almost every single one of them and i know what it's like not to have a voice and i am here because of so many kind and wonderful and passionate people and most of them have been teachers so for me it is an honor to advocate on behalf of teachers and to you know have my voice as someone who has experienced you know adversity but we most of us have and and if you haven't fallen and if you haven't failed and if you haven't faced adversity then you know i'm not sure like what is going on in your life but like it, this is true for all of us like adversity and pain and heartache and you know they're part of life but they become more complex as you are describe your life situations whether you are someone from like a two parent household or whether you're from from Mexico and just immigrating and living in the projects like you know we all have um similarities at the end of the day all humans despite your ethnicity we all feel the same things and we all want the same things mm-hmm. which is you know we all feel pain we all want to be loved we all want to be safe we all want our children to be in safe communities and schools and that is something that in my school district that is not you know a latino voting district it's majority like a white voting district like i can relate to all of the moms and all of the dads because i want the same thing for all children and my children and um, and i can relate to all the human experiences The only thing is that the children that attend my school district are the Latino children and I not every child is undocumented or comes from an undocumented household. We all know that like for the most part most Latinos, you know, under 18, one out of 9 or well most of them are going to be natural born citizens. Most of our Latino children under the age of 18 are natural born citizens and and even if they aren't like the experiences that i have had in my life have allowed me to want to be the best advocate for them and their families and with that came the resolution you know seeing the marches have been- so, so let's talk a little bit about the re- resolution can you tell us and tell our you know our, our viewers what exactly does the resolution state what was voted on and and what are the actions that are going to come from this resolution 
So there are two resolutions that were passed at the same time. Um, the reason that we did that was because one was um, a resolution to our commitment to um, black to black lives, um, and the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, is so powerful and so inspiring in so many ways. And it has really ignited, you know, not just, you know, people in, you know, one specific area, it has ignited the nation and the world mm -hmm. to understand, like, I've heard, you know, interviews in, in Italy about, like, the um, people who live there who are, um, who are Black, who have based inequities because of the color of their skin, which is, you know, it, discrimination and racism isn't unique to the United States. Mm -hmm. So going back to my resolution, like, you know, I was so inspired by all of our, our youth and all of the people in these marches. And, you know, in Arizona, most of the people um, that were marching were marching and they were doing it peacefully. And it reminded me of a lot of the May 1st marches and all of the marches that I've participated in. And it is so beautiful to see this. And in solidarity, I, I felt like we needed to take action. So we committed to Black Lives Matter, but a resolution is just a belief system. Mm -hmm. I believe that, you know, Black lives should be respected and valued. And so that's a belief system and it's wonderful and beautiful, but if there is no action, then it's pretty much like, purposeless it just sits there in your website or it's there you know um, and it looks amazing when people search for it but that's not really what I aim to do when I when I pass resolutions there always has to be an action so the action was uh, my commitment to ethnic studies which would allow for um, K through five to have um, lessons in their um, in their classrooms but not just because we already were doing a great job in our dual language program, which is one class per grade. Mm -hmm. You know, we, in those classes, because they are taught in a bilingual format, um, children get to um, engage in history projects and, and do very like um, worldly projects. Whereas I feel like, you know, we shouldn't just have Native American student services for Native students. All children should learn, learn about the history of Native Americans. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't just have like Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta in our dual language program. All children should learn about Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. And we all need to learn about our African American history in the United States. So that was like my commitment in the second resolution, which was the Safe Ethnic Studies, is that, you know, it would be appropriate um, based on the age group, similar to what TUSD does, to where like once you get into middle school, it's in your, um, you know, your social studies class, it's embedded in there. And that was like the, what we're aiming at doing as ensuring that not just like the dual language or the Native American student services, or, you know, the middle schoolers, but all children learn about all histories. And that is, that is the action behind the all black, the Black Lives Matter um, resolution. Okay. So, it, so, it, so, so these, these two, so what I'm understanding is that the first resolution is really talking about the current time we're going through, which was we need to respect black lives. And as, uh, as, a, as a school board, it was important to put that down, to say, this is what we stand for, like you're saying, our beliefs. And then the second piece was a resolution that said, then what are we going to do about that? 
And that was to not only talk about the importance of Black lives in this like a resolution format, but also put lessons into the curriculum that will go beyond just talking about the African-American experience, but talking about everyone's experience and having that throughout your school district. Yes, absolutely. And the way that we can all learn to respect each other is through learning about our histories. And although this is not to take away from Black Lives Matter, because it is important and critical that we set a belief system and we set our stand and a statement, um, but we also recognize that this is a good moment to do what's right for the rest of you know, the histories that haven't been respected or validated at this point. So um, that was an opportunity to not just like set like, you know, a belief statement in reference to Black Lives Matter, um, but also to continue on to the work, which is in line with, you know, how are we going to support each other and love each other and be compassionate? It's through education, 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 education. And it starts with our children, because once you get them when they're adults, like you can't change the mind of a 35, 40 year old person. Like it's really hard for me to change my eating habits or my, my, my habits in general. So how can we change? We can't change, you know, people who have grown up just knowing racism or being racist. Like we're never going to change them. Like it would take a lot of work for them to change. But what we can do, especially those of us who are school leaders, we can change the way that these children grow up to see the world. And that is our job and responsibility is to shame and form their formation is the most important role that we have as school leaders. And the curriculum, not only just seeing them reflected in their leadership and their teachers and their principals, but also in the curriculum in their classrooms, they need to see posters of people that look like them. They need to see, they need to read books of people who are sharing stories that are similar to theirs. Like there is no way that we can continue on without being able to share and educate our children to be compassionate, critical thinkers, innovators of this world, which is what they are and what they're going to be. And we need to give them those tools and language and history does that. They are liberating tools. They, they allow you to think critically, which is something that you gain when you're in college. They don't need to wait until they're in college. They shouldn't have this information and they should be able to become critical thinkers as early as you know kindergarten because they have those abilities. So they don't grow up to do horrible bad things or become racist or close-minded because they had the lack of exposure it is our job to do that. And it's not just for people who are not Latino, Black, or Native American. I'm not just talking about like, you know, Anglos. I'm talking about our own communities too. Like there are people who by no fault of their own because of racist draconian laws don't speak Spanish. And that I don't blame them for, but it saddened me, saddens me to know that there are people who don't even know that this used to be Mexico, that don't understand the history of people of their own people or where they come from, or it's just, it's heartbreaking. It really is to me um, to realize that we have not done a good job in our educational systems. And I am grateful, like my education is very diverse because I move so much. So I, I, for me, like I'm lucky that I got to take 
great parts of different places, but there is a time where I too had self-hate, where I too was embarrassed to be brown, to speak Spanish, you know, of my mother, of being poor. Like that is also a, an identity issue that we all struggle with. So your process from self-hate to self-actualization only happens through a quality education. And that's what I'm trying, I aim at providing when I am I'm passing resolutions like this, where I'm saying like, this, you know, la cultura cura, that's yeah. a saying that we have. It does. Mi cultura me ha dado todo. It has healed me. It has given me the tools to succeed in every way. And I want that for all children. And I want to go back to something that you said about, like, it's harder for 35, 40-year-olds to change their minds. Uh, because for this to be successful, you have a teaching core. You have a group of teachers. And their minds, some of them, needs to shift to be able to offer exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, there, there's messages out there talking about, you know, uh, there, there have been Karens and there are Karens in our classrooms, right? Uh, much respect and love to, to, to educators. I've been an educator for 20 years. Um, but my experience has been that, yes, there have been some folks who are afraid of our community, afraid of our parents, afraid of our young people, who are very quick to judge. And sometimes it's very hard to change their hearts and minds. Now, there's others that I've seen have been amazing and who have, you know, inspired young people to be creative and innovative, like you're talking about, to take pride in who they are, to self-actualize. So what's your thought with respect to that preparation? Uh, because unfortunately, it's not coming from the university space in the teacher ed programs where, we're, where we would hope that these teachers are coming out. I mean, maybe they take a course in, you know, educational diversity or multicultural education. But when it comes down to it, they're not experts in exactly what you're talking about. So what are your thoughts as, a, as an educational leader, as a as school board member uh, and, and president of the school board to, to address those, that need, that gap that maybe exists right now? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm not biased, but I do believe that Arizona does do a good job with their teachers college at addressing um, the cultural diversity and you know, bilingualism as well. Like I know that recently they, they made a requirement that all teachers receive a bilingual endorsement, which is critical to the success of the teachers and the children. So I think it starts with, you know, the universities, of course, but like for those teachers that you're talking about who have been in our systems for a really long time, right? Some of some are, you know, getting ready to retire. They've been teachers for 10, 15 years. If they're unaware or not equipped to understand why we're doing this, it is hard to change their mind and their heart. Like, just like it is to be the only Latina on a board talking about what it's like to be Latina, why is it important to, to teach history and culture and language? Um, it's the same way. It starts, you know, with leadership. It starts with sending the message, right? Like as leaders, like I, as a school board member, like believe these things and this is what has happened in my experience. And then, you know, as leaders, we have a lot of privilege. One of them is passing resolutions and setting policy. So it is challenging one thing that i compare it to is like when i worked in the commute gardens in tucson when i was an intern not every teacher believed that commute gardening was amazing and not every teacher wanted to be outside you know gardening or harvesting or cared about having an aquaponic system in their classroom or testing the ph balance 
not every teacher believes the same things. So it is wrong for us to assume that. Um, and not every teacher was on board or jumped as excited as some did to like be part of a community garden. That's how I, I envision this happening is that not every teacher is on board or cares about history or doesn't see the value in, you know, culture and history or validation of these children's experiences. They don't think that way. They're they trained to think differently. Some are, some aren't. So I think it's a matter of like setting these expectations as leaders and then making it part of the curriculum so people don't get to choose. And then I think that, you know, setting these expectations. I think that for those who haven't experienced or know, you know, the way that um, language and culture and history play into the formation of children, they will start seeing it. There's a lot of research out there that people can go to and I, we're relying in a partnership with universities to provide them the professional development. You can't just expect teachers to do things. They are already overwhelmed with the millions of obligations that they have besides just teaching. They, they have right now more than ever so many stressors. So providing them professional development and tools so they can understand first what is expected of them and then so they can do the delivery and implementation of the curriculum in a manner that is going to be healthy and helpful for these children to understand. But they first have to be the ones who understand it. It's kind of like what happened when online learning, when we had to close schools. Like not every teacher is prepared or is tech savvy and not anyone can just have like a classroom online. Like it's a process and some struggled more than others. It's the same thing. Like it's not going to be easy. And if we are not giving the same thing with like this online distance learning, if we're not giving teachers the tools so they can prepare themselves by providing them professional development opportunities and trainings, similar to the parents too, like how is a parent supposed to help their child on distance learning? Like we need to give them the tools too. It's the same thing. You have to give people the tools to be successful. And if they've never been in it or they've never like been part of a, a cultural competency or a culture, culturally relevant course, then this is the opportunity to bring that, bring it to them and help them learn and educate them because we're all learning. Like we never stop learning. And for those of us in education, like the learning curve will never stop. We will continue to learn and we want to be good leaders if we want to do what's right for our students. We need to continue to adjust um, and to learn and to be flexible more than ever because these are trying times and there is no such thing as normal anymore. There is a new normal. There are opportunities now to do things that we've never done before, whether it's because of you know the civil rights movement that's going on or because of the pandemic. This, mm -hmm. this is the time. This is the time to do what's right if we've never done it in the past. Yeah. My all-time favorite mentor, one of them, is Richard Carranza, um, and he's from Tucson. And he, through him, I've learned about bold leadership. And sometimes, you know, the right thing isn't the popular thing, and you stand alone. And, and that's the way it is sometimes, but you have to do it, and you have to do what's right for children. We may not see the positive changes or impacts 
right away, but we will see them and we will change their lives for generations. And that's what I aim to do. Yeah, I want to uh, transition here just a little bit um, y hablarle directamente a nuestra comunidad en español, ¿verdad? Porque es súper importante también tomar tiempo. Nosotros teniendo esta oportunidad, estas posiciones de, de autoridad, también hay que darle campo a estas comunidades que no son respetadas o que no tienen campo donde pueden hablar o donde se pueden representar, ¿verdad? Entonces, en nuestra comunidad también existen este, estos conceptos de... de venir aquí a este país y, y no causa problema, bajar la cabeza, trabajar duro, uh, no, no enfrentar estos problemas sociales. Es como decir, edúcate, mijo, mija, no causes problema, sigue adelante uh, y, y, y ya cuando llegues a una posición, quizá puedas comenzar a, a, a decir algo, a hablar, uh, pero la mayoría del tiempo es no te quejes, no, haga, no causes problema y sigue por delante. Y parte es, es también perder lengua, acento, historia, asimilarse al, al sistema aquí, a, a, al sistema de los Estados Unidos. ¿Qué piensas tocante esos temas? Quizá nuestra generación está cambiando esa manera de pensar, pero todavía existe, uh, todavía existe en nuestra comunidad una, una manera um, muy... Muy trabajosa, <risa> con todo respeto a nuestra comunidad, a todos los que están trabajando muy duro, pero hay muchos que dicen, ese asunto no es mío, yo no me voy a enfrentar allí, no voy a, ser, no voy a causar problema. ¿Qué les dices a, a esos individuos? Irene? Bueno, es, bueno, varias cosas. Un mensaje para los padres de familia. Padres de familia, nunca dejen la educación de sus hijos solo al sistema educativo. Si ustedes tienen preguntas o el sistema les está fallando, que suele suceder, nadie es perfecto, especialmente los sistemas, por favor, abogue por sus hijos. Nunca se quede conforme. Nunca se quede conforme por, y, y no abogue y no pelee por lo que su hijo y usted merecen. Número dos, nunca deje que sus hijos pierdan el conocimiento de su idioma. El idioma es lo más importante, el, el mejor legado que usted le puede dejar a sus hijos. Practique, siempre hable con sus hijos en español. Platíquele sobre sus historias en México o de los países latinoamericanos, de donde provienen. Sean orgullosos de, de sí mismos. Inculquen esos valores en sus hijos. Yo sé que nuestra comunidad latina es una comunidad que trabaja demasiado duro y algunas veces por darle a nuestros hijos lo mejor, se nos olvida que los valores y los principios son lo mejor. No son las cosas materiales que les compramos o las oportunidades o los viajes a Disneylandia o a la playa o al mall. Son los valores y los principios y eso empieza con cuáles son las costumbres que tenemos en casa y cuáles son nuestros valores como familia. Si ustedes se dan cuenta, todos quieren ser como nosotros. Hay una razón por la que tenemos una película como Coco y cada vez que vamos a un restaurante, todos están tratando de hacer guacamole, han duplicado nuestras recetas. Es porque ellos quieren ser como nosotros. O nosotros deberíamos de estar orgullosos de quiénes somos. 
y no acostumbrarnos y asimilarnos a las formas americanas que son el capitalismo, que es comprar, o sea, por tratar de ser como americanos. Es tratar de ser orgullosos de quienes somos, de seguir sembrando, o sea, tratando de prolongar nuestras costumbres, aunque son nuestra cocina, nuestras historias. Nosotros somos personas de contar muchos cuentos y fábulas, pasar ese tipo de legado a nuestros hijos. Y para los estudiantes que están escuchando, para los que están aprendiendo español o no hablan español o les da vergüenza hablar español, poder hablar español y escribir el español es lo más importante, es la herramienta más importante que que yo he utilizado para llegar al éxito. Si yo no fuera bilingüe o pudiera escribir en dos idiomas, no tuviera todas las oportunidades que he tenido, no solamente profesionalmente, pero como miembro del distrito escolar. Porque yo puedo decir o estar um, enfrente de, de diferentes personas y decir, tú eres abogado, muy bien, es un logro tan grande, pero puedes hablar dos idiomas y escribirlos y la mayoría no puede. Entonces, esa es una herramienta que vas a poder utilizar para el resto de tu vida. No se te olvide de dónde, viene, de dónde vienes tú ni de dónde vienen tus padres. Y sé súper orgulloso de ellos y de, de ti mismo porque no hay nadie como tú. Y nuestro origen es un origen muy bonito y nuestro país, ya dejando la política y el gobierno aparte, nuestro país es un país increíble, especialmente los que venimos de México, pero todos los países latinoamericanos también tienen una historia no muy buena, pero son países que están llenos de unos paisajes hermosísimos, de un idioma, de unos indígenas súper inteligentes. Nosotros venimos de, de las raíces mayas, de un calendario azteca, de un sistema de números cero. O sea, no muchas personas pueden decir que sus antepasados crearon estas cosas, unas pirámides increíbles ¿sí? que fueron construidas sin ningún tipo de tecnología o sistema avanzado de construcción. Entonces, sean orgullosos de sí mismos. Yo sé que a la edad de, cuando yo era adolescente, yo no es, era una persona que, que estaba súper orgullosa de quien era, um, quería también ser americana. Y um, aunque somos americanos por nacimiento, me estoy hablando americano culturalmente. Yo quería um, no ser mexicana y es algo de lo que me arrepiento y por eso digo ahora que um, lo más bonito que he aprendido de mí y lo que me ha ayudado a sanar y a ser una persona saludable es aprender de mi historia y estar súper orgullosa de quién soy porque cuando la aprendes te das cuenta que en México tenemos recursos naturales que todos en el mundo quieren tener. Tenemos una diversidad biosfera que no todos los países tienen. Tenemos demasiadas cosas bonitas de las que podemos hablar y tendría yo una lista súper larga. Pero esos son mis dos consejos que yo les doy a, a los padres y a los jóvenes que no se olviden de las hermosas raíces de las que provenimos. Es, es una historia increíble y cuando tú hablas por, tú hablas dos idiomas, vales por dos. Y no lo digo porque soy bilingüe, lo digo porque es la realidad. Cuando yo estoy aplicando o he aplicado por empleos, siempre estoy compitiendo contra anglosajones que hablan español. Entonces, 
¿cómo es que a ellos se les da estos empleos y ellos hablan el idioma mejor que nosotros? Porque ellos entienden y valoran que si hablan español van a tener más oportunidades. Nosotros mismos que ya venimos con el idioma y con las prácticas culturales, debemos de preservarlas y debemos de, de adorarlas porque todos quieren ser como nosotros y no nos hemos dado cuenta. Si se encuentra en México, o sea, desde el Tratado de Libre Comercio, nosotros hemos tratado de ser americanos y no orgullosos de ser mexicanos. Y aquí los anglosajones quieren sembrar y quieren ir a tiempos como practicamos cuando éramos indígenas. Entonces, ellos quieren ser como nosotros y nosotros como ellos. Entonces, hay que entender que, que aunque somos americanos también, pero también somos mexicanos o puertorriqueños o colombianos y nuestras raíces son el mejor legado que vamos a tener y que le vamos a dejar a nuestras futuras generaciones. Muchísimas gracias, Lenny. Otra vez, um, les digo a los padres, por favor, involúcrense en todos los aspectos sociales. Tenemos que pelear por, por estos cambios necesarios. Así, así como dice Lenny, hay mucho orgullo de todo lo que, que viene de nuestras raíces, pero también hay mucho orgullo que también existe para el futuro. Tenemos que crear raíces también aquí en este país, siendo que también era México. Ay, hablando aquí en claro, mi, mi familia viene de, de, de aquí, ¿verdad? Soy, soy tejano originalmente y mis raíces, mi gente siempre estuvo aquí. Antes que fuera aquí los Estados Unidos, entonces... Siempre les digo a los papás, le digo aquí a la compañera, le digo a todos, hay que pelear para que nuestras raíces sigan extendiendo en donde uno quiera estar. ¿verdad? También nosotros nos, nos mere, también merecemos un, una, una vida digna, algo justo, y hay que pelear por esa dignidad. Nunca se ha regalado, especialmente aquí en este país. Entonces, ahora que tenemos educación, acceso a, a estos sistemas, Acceso a individuos como Ileña, ¿verdad? Que, que están representando a nuestra comunidad. Hay que también apoyar a, a estos individuos para que hagan su trabajo y para que tengan ese apoyo de comunidad. Me imagino, Ileña, que en, tu, en el trabajo que haces uh, en la mesa directiva de, del distrito, que la voz de la comunidad es muy importante para ti y que ese apoyo te ayuda para, para mover las cosas para adelante. Sí, y dos cosas que no dije que, que van en lo que acabas de decir. La forma en que peleamos es en votar. Si uno, si usted puede votar, vote. La, poder votar es un privilegio, no todos tenemos ese privilegio. Solamente por medio de nuestro voto podemos cambiar a los líderes que tenemos que no están alineados con nuestros valores y principios. También involucrarse en el sistema educativo de sus hijos. Aunque usted no haya recibido una buena educación en su país o aquí, involúcrese en la educación de su hijo. Es la única forma en la que vamos a salir de la pobreza o vamos a cambiar los sistemas. Es si usted se, se involucra. Y no todos venimos de los mismos sistemas educativos, pero si usted se involucra, empieza a platicar con su hijo todos los días una pregunta sobre cómo le fue en la escuela o qué está aprendiendo si se y luego se involucra con, no sé, empieza a platicar o ir a, las, a los eventos de la escuela. Eso es tan importante para la moral de la escuela, pero también de su hijo porque él se va a sentir 
que usted lo está apoyando en ese sistema educativo y eso es muy importante para el éxito de cualquier niño es que un padre, solamente toma un padre, se involucre en la educación de su hijo. Votar y involucrarse. Y obviamente llenar el censo, porque el censo, um, está, el censo para empezar no va a reportar su información a ningún tipo de um, sistema federal. O sea, el censo es, es privado y ese censo va a determinar cuánto dinero debe el Estado recibir para servicios educativos y otros servicios, pero para mí lo más importante es el servicio educativo y es muy importante, pero así en sí, usted vote y involúcrese en la educación de su hijo. Eso es lo más importante que puede hacer. Y si no tiene hijos um, o sus hijos ya se han graduado, de todos modos vote. Y de todos modos vote por los, las elecciones locales de los distritos, de las mesas directivas, porque las mesas directivas hacen decisiones que le afectan más que lo que los legisladores y diputados estatales hacen. Entonces, involúcrese, trate de educarse. No, no, no cuesta mucho um, ir al salón de clase o mandarle un correo a la maestra y preguntarle, hacerle una pregunta. Y si usted no se siente a gusto, mandarle un mensaje por um, WhatsApp o los otros sistemas que utilizan. Entonces, individuo, mi, mi familia, es que la, todas las familias, mi gente... Um, tenemos que, que realmente entender que venemos de unas raíces colectivas y que este sistema nos quiere ver como individuos, pero tenemos que luchar juntos para hacer estos cambios positivos de que habla Leña. Um, thank you everybody for uh, joining us for this Changemaker Chat. Leña, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, I know that you're very busy and, uh, and I appreciate you very much for everything that you do, everything that you're a part of, uh, and, and I'm so grateful that you were able to come on and, uh, and, you know, tell us more about what's happening in Osborne. Please uh, do a quick plug for your campaign. Uh, what do people need to know? Thank you very much, first of all, for inviting me. It's been an honor and a pleasure not just to, like, you know, share my story, but also um, talk about my school district, um, which I'm really proud to serve in, in our school district. Um, my campaign is Aguilar for Osborne, and that is... Um, my race. I am running for re-election, so it'll be my second time voting in a presidential election, which I'm really excited to do. Um, it is, like I said um, before in Spanish, like voting is, is a privilege. It's a privilege for those of us who never had the opportunity to do so, and it's a privilege because so many people don't have it. So I don't take it lightly, whether you're, you live in my district or not, or you can donate to my campaign or not, vote. That is the only favor that I ask of you is vote. Vote because it is a privilege and because it is our civic responsibility to do those of us who can, to do for those who can't. Thank you so much. Again, for those of you that, um, that don't know, these Changemaker Chats are sponsored by the K-20 Changemaker Campus, the only kindergarten to PhD program in the country, focused in predominantly on helping our Latino community uh, achieve success. And uh, so, Elena, please count us as allies in the work that you do. Uh, please count on us on anything that you need. For the families that would like to connect here in Southern Arizona to the K-20 campus, this is a partnership between Mexicaid Academy, Changemaker High School, and Prescott College. Uh, we're bringing uh, these three entities together to do some very innovative work for our community with community principles in mind. Uh, if you want to know more, please 
uh, visit the different websites or social media platforms for each of the organizations. Again, Mexicali Academy, uh, Changemaker High School, and, uh, and, and Prescott College. Uh, for those who are interested in enrolling students, please go to our website, www.changemakerhighschool.org forward slash intent to enroll to find out more. You can also reach us at 615-2200. That's 520-615-2200. And we can get you in touch with any one of our partners. Uh, we're doing amazing work and we want you on this journey with us. So thank you so much, Ilenia. Muchisimas gracias. Thank you so much for making the time. Greatly appreciate you. Have a good rest of the day. Please stay safe. Again, PSA, everybody.